I was really challenged by what Neville said last week concerning the church at Ephesus, that it was formed by Paul because he spent a couple of years there forming the church. And then 10 years later, he writes, writes a letter from jail to them. And then 45 years later, uh, Jesus speaks the words to them as a church. And he says, I've got this one thing against you. You've lost your first love. We're 41 years old this year, and that, it, just, it, just, it just hit me when Neville was talking about it, saying how easy it is to lose our first love. How easy it is to lose. Uh, I know when I first got saved, I just wanted to save the whole world. And I would witness to everybody that if they breathed and if they didn't breathe, I would witness to them hoping they were going to breathe. It was just, it was just so because... I got such a amount of joy when Jesus accepted me as a sinner, and that's all. That's our background, by the way, all of us, none exempt. Uh, and what He saved me from, that all just started coming home to us because I was brought up in a Christian home by mum and dad. They were fine Christians. And Dad read the Bible to us every day, and I chose to reject that in my teenage years and do my own thing and go my own, own way and started chasing money. And uh, it never brought any joy, never brought any satisfaction, never brought any happiness. And I was happy with Susie, I was happy having kids, I was happy with all those things, but deep inside I was empty, just empty and uh, I tried to fill it up with all kinds of things another boat another another house another car and nothing would satisfy nothing at all so when I heard that and I thought here we are 41 years down the track are we as fervent today as what we were 41 years ago just a question you don't have to put your hand up and say oh mate no no but we've got a message to proclaim. We've got a testimony to give. We really have. I want to read a couple of scriptures. One from Jeremiah chapter 7. Jeremiah chapter 7, just a couple of verses. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Stand in the gates of the Lord's house. And proclaim there this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all you of Judah who enter in at these gates to worship the Lord. So he's talking to people that are coming into the temple to worship the Lord. We come into this place to worship the Lord first and foremost. Like we have, what's the name? We have fellowship and that's good. And we, we sit down and we talk and that's good. And we have a coffee and that's good. All these things are good. That they said that, you know, like nothing can save us except the grace and faith. We can't enter any other way. So that's one scripture, and he's talking to the people of God. The other scripture is, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And if you're wondering what I got behind my ear, I had a lump cut out this week on Thursday. And uh, I'll find out on Monday whether it's 
nothing to worry about or whether he's going to send me to a uh, uh, plastic surgeon to get what's name to get it cut deeper and wider with a bigger margin so it depends on the what's name on what uh, they say pathology so far so good okay 1 Corinthians chapter 9 we're going to read from verse 1 to 16 Paul says am I not an apostle am I not free have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord are you not my work in the Lord if I am not an apostle to others yet doubtless I am to you for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord my defense to those who examine me in this do we have no right to eat and drink do we have no right to take along a believing wife as also the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord and Cephas, that's Peter? Or is it only I and Barnabas, I who have no right to refrain from working? Whoever goes to war at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit, or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? Do I say these things as a mere man? Or does not the law say the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. It is, is, is it oxen God is concerned about? Or does he say it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt. This is written that he who ploughs should plough in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be partakers of this hope. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple, and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should also live from the gospel. For I have used none of these things, nor have I written these things, that, I should, that it should be done so for me. For it would be better for me to die than anyone should make, me, make my boasting void. Now, this is, the, this is the clincher. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For necessity is laid upon me, yes, woe is me, if I do not preach the gospel. I think all of us need to know at some time or another what God has called us to and that we function in that calling. That is more important than anything else in life. More important than your job, more important than your income. That is the most important thing in life, that you do whatever God has called you to do. Because on that day, he will ask us, what did you do with the gift that I gave you? And everybody has been given a gift. The Bible makes that clear. And if you ask me to do that, I could take you to all the scriptures that actually declare that. We are to function. Jesus Christ is looking for fruit from the gift that he's given to us. Can I hear an amen? That's how it is. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness and your goodness. Lord, I too declare along with the Jewish nation, for you are good and your mercy endures forever. And Lord, it doesn't make any difference whether we're going through good times or bad times. You are on the throne. You are worthy of praise and you are good and your mercy endures forever. Lord, I say that privately. I say that publicly because it's the truth. 
of your word, O oh God. And Lord, you never lie. So I thank you for that, Father. I pray, be with me as I bring the word. Father, be with all the hearers as they listen to the word. And Father, may they apply the word to their hearts and to their lives. Lord, that they may be fruitful in your kingdom plans and purposes. For I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So whether Jeremiah is calling God's people back in the Old Testament or Paul preaching the truths of Christ in the New Testament, the proclamation of the gospel is one of certainty and unwavering authority. It really is. When I read in the Psalms that God elevates his word even above his name, I stand in awe. I go, wow, that is just amazing. And if you look at the prophetic word coming to pass from the old to the new and in history and in continuing history, it's just unbelievably accurate. The early Christians went everywhere proclaiming the gospel and there was a solid rock common foundation that was imparted in the face of all kinds of adversity. They did not let adversity stop them from doing what God had called them to do. And what was, the, what, was, what was it that compelled them to proclaim the story of Christ again and again and again? Upon what do we find sure footing as we proclaim the gospel into a world flooded with lost souls? We just heard the song. Is it that same great foundation of God's word that Jeremiah, Paul and early Christians stood is it the abiding proven truths of the Bible that time and eternity will never ever change? That's what I believe. Jeremiah in chapter 20 verse 9b it says, But his word was in my heart like a burning fire shut in my bones. I was weary of holding it back but I could not. That's how it should be in our lives. If we're called to preach it, then we should preach. If we're called to serve, then we should serve. If we're called to make money, we should pour it into the kingdom for kingdom work to go faster than what it's been going. It doesn't matter what area God has called you to, that's what you are to function in because that's what he's going to hold you to account on that day. Not entry into heaven, I'm not talking about that. By grace and faith we get that. But the gift that he's given to us, he wants to return on the gift. Boy, it's gone quiet here. But he does. We see the unchanging authority of God's word. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. And the, 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 the real guts of it is go. That's the bottom line. Changing times, changing emphasis, changing interests, changing theologies have never changed the authoritative word of God in any way whatsoever. It still stands as the firm foundation for proclaiming the gospel. God's word makes proclamation mandatory. And, you know, you might be really feeling... Oh, look, this is really out of my league. I can't do this. But you can do something with the gift that God has placed in you. That's all he's asking. He's not asking you to do something that you haven't been gifted to do. Does that make sense? Amen. It does. 
It's, it's like going into the bank, you know, like if you have no idea how to do sums, they're not going to put you behind the teller and say, you be the head teller and you look after everything. They're not going to do that. See, even people don't do that, let alone God, who does everything righteously. Jesus said, as my Father has sent me, so I send you. Christ is saying that even as he received the work from the Father, so he hands his kingdom work on to us. His disciples are to go and make disciples. In order to teach and build up, firmly establish, to encourage and prosper the church and the kingdom of God on earth, so we can say, Lord, your will is being done on earth as it's being done in heaven. The kingdom of God is the message and the church is the messenger of the kingdom. In Ephesians 3, Paul reveals the mystery of Christ, which in the other ages had not been made known to the sons of men, but has now been revealed by the Spirit. And God's vision and intention was that the many facets of that wisdom should and would be seen to be made manifest in the world by the church, nothing else. It's by the church. You are his chosen and appointed vessels to express and extend his kingdom, make known his eternal purposes that have been accomplished in Christ. Christ did it all. We used to... Oh, by the way, over the next two or three weeks or somewhere in, in that time, we're going to have a seminar here. I had the Gideons come and visit me yesterday and how to be able to share the gospel without being fearful. And that's something that stops most people from opening their mouth about the gospel, fearful that they don't know how to do it. But we can all do something. You've heard me say many times, you can only take a horse to water, but you can't make it drink, but you can put a salt tablet under his tongue, make him thirsty. Then you'll drink. To simplify that, we endeavour to do this at City Light by loving God, loving our neighbours and serving the world. It's simple. The Bible teaching is clear. Proclamation is mandatory. There may be some things in the Bible that are not clear, but the command to witness is not one of them. Listen as I lay down some things here. He's empowered you and I to be his witnesses. That's what it says, by the Spirit. I'm going to pour out my Spirit on you, and that's going to empower you to be my witnesses. We might get fearful because we're listening to other people, or we're listening to the world, and they said, oh, you're going to lose all your friends if you do that. Well, I'd rather be friends with Jesus than friends with the world. You will be my witnesses. You will be, not should be or can be. You will be, that's what it says. The question here is, what kind of witness to Christ will you or I be? The measure of our life given to Christ will determine the measure of kingdom work and fruit produced. 
I'll say that again. I'd love you to write it down. The measure of our life given to Christ will determine the measure of kingdom work and fruit that's going to be produced. It's only as we give our all that he says, okay, I want to use you. The Bible places responsibility upon us as believers to proclaim the message of the kingdom of God. This privilege and responsibility is ours to proclaim God's truth could be no more clearly stated than in Ezekiel 33 verse 6. Let me read this to you. You can open up your Bible and find it for yourself. If the watchman sees the sword come and does not blow the trumpet and the people are not warned, if the sword comes and takes any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity. His blood is required at the watchman's hand. Are we our brother's keeper? Come. Are we? We are. Have we got neighbours? Jesus said, what, you know, the, 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 they said, well, who is my neighbour? And then Jesus gives a bit of a parable about, about somebody being, you know, like attacked on the way and, and one religious man, he goes like this one and another one, he goes around on the other side and then somebody else comes along who is not a Christian and he picks that person up, takes it to an inn, gives them money, said, I want you to care for them and if there's any other expenses that are going to come, I'll pay it. And he said, now who is a neighbour? Jesus posed the question and they said, I suppose the one that helped him. They didn't want to say, you know, like he's a Gentile. The unchanging word of God assures a proclaimer of success and victory. He who goes forth weeping, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Psalm 126, verse 6. But first of all, we've got we to be weeping. First of all, we've got to cry for those that are lost. And let's, let's begin with our own families. Many of us have family members that are not saved and we know their destiny according to the word of God, and the, nest, the destiny is weeping and gnashing of teeth. It is horror upon horror. The unchanging word of God assures the proclaim of success and victory. We've got to believe that. One, because of the power of God's word, success is promised. Romans 1.16 says, The gospel of Christ is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Now, the majority of people know what it says in John 3.16. Who can quote John 3.18? It should be, it should be so, so in us. Listen, listen what it says. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Boy, it's just, it's, it's so serious 
because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. That's, that's the clincher. That, that's the answer to the problem. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that is the answer to the problem. And how do we know? Look, the Lord is not willing that anyone should be lost, but that all should come to repentance, 2 Peter 3, 9, the will of God is that not one person would be lost. That's the will of God. So when you pray for lost souls, you know you're praying according to the will of God. A lot of people say, well, how do I know who's going to be saved? You don't, but God does. And his will is that none would be lost so we can pray for every person that we know that we want to be saved and we know that we're praying according to the will of God. We see the ungenerate condition of the world, don't we? Look what's happening around the world. When we see the events in the spirit of our day, none of us are led to question John's assertion, listen, that the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. Even though Jesus Christ is Lord of all, there's all these people that have got their eyes, they're blinded, their ears are stopped up with, and they can't hear and they can't see. A rather detailed and relevant listing of prominent sins that substantiate John's claim is found in 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 7. We won't read it all, but I'll just read out some of the things. Some of the sins mentioned are selfishness, greed, arrogance, blasphemy, sexual perversion and religious shame. Sadly, all these things are commonly visible and largely acceptable by the world. You know, for a, a beautiful young girl to say, well, I'm a boy, or the other way around, it's becoming acceptable by the world, and it's, the, it's a lie. It's a blatant lie, and people are accepting that stuff as it's truth. And that's our society today. And a lot of it is generated by TV programs by what's name, by day, daily what's name news, you know, like they are pushing that agenda for all it's worth. We see the unalterable condition of sin. Time has not caused God to go soft on sin. You know, a lot of people say, oh, no, no, you can't judge. If God judges it as sin, that's what it is, sin. The wages of sin is still death. And the soul that sins may be assured of death, apart from salvation through the cleansing blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. We heard that again in communion this morning. How thankful we ought to be because we didn't put anything into that at all. That's what he did for us. Why is sin condemned? It's condemned, it basically arises from unbelief. I don't believe in all these rules. 
they're not rules. They are put there for our benefit. Not to curtail us or to put us in a, in a prison. It releases us from prison instead. Proverbs 28, 13 says, He who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. It's, it's so simple. The word became flesh and dwelt among us who beheld his glory, full of grace and truth, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Came through him. Since unbelief both refuses to acknowledge personal needs and rejects God's only remedy, only condemnation can follow. And it's not God that condemns them. They have condemned themselves by refusing what Jesus Christ has offered on the cross of Calvary. And that was the love of God as to why Jesus came. For he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The unavoidable life beyond it is appointed for men to die once and after that comes judgment. It's too late after that. A question that has plagued people from generation to generation, from the earliest pages of human history until today, is the question raised by Job. If a man dies, shall he live again? And we've got it in all kinds of religions around the world. You know, if you believe in Hinduism, well, you better not you know, kill a bug. It might be your auntie or your uncle, because they haven't been good in this life. Well, how many gods is there in the Hindu religion? Is it something like millions? Too many to count. There you go. This life-shaking question tugs at every branch of human knowledge and learning. Death is simply a doorway to the unavoidable life beyond. We're all going to die. If, 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 we, if, if we've been birthed by our mother, we're all going to die. That's, that's the other end of life. But for me, and for you hopefully, just the same, because you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation, you go through that door to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Goodbye, Bernie Hartog in the old life. Hello, Jesus, in this life. It is that simple and it's going to be that glorious as well. It is. Like he's made a way that is so amazing. King Ethelbert. Who's ever heard of King Ethelbert? What year? <laughs> okay. He was, he was in what's name? He was king in, in AD 589. But listen to this. King Ethelbert questioned the wisdom of another religion being thrust upon his overly religious and superstitious people in England. To decide the fate of his new kingdom faith, the king called a meeting of his lords. As they met late into the night in a large room with open beams and open windows, a sparrow flew out of the darkness through a window and winging his way through the lighted hall, he flew out another window back into the darkness of the night. 
silence fell on the convocation. And the respected Lord stood up and said, Sirs, that sparrow symbolises all I know about the soul of man. It comes through the window of birth into the lighted halls of life to wing its brief away, alas, through the window of death. Out again into the darkness of night where we know not. I say, if this new faith can tell us from where the soul comes and where it goes, let it be preached. That was talking about Christianity. It hadn't come into England until that time in any large way. He became a Christian. Christianity soon spread throughout Northumberland. He became the first king of England to become a Christian. So it's worth remembering. You know, like, we have a lot to share with England, by the way, just in case you didn't know, we have. In this life beyond, eternal destinies will be sealed. It is just so important. These destinies shall be sealed on the basis of belief and trust. You can be certain of your destiny because of the promise, for whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be Everybody seems to know it. The unconquerable Christ among us. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. That witness came into my heart, and I'm sure that witness came into your heart. The day that you knew you were saved, everything changed. Everything changed for me on that day. Everything Susie came to see me in the hospital the next day and I was talking about going to heaven. I hadn't talked about that ever before. She said, if you've changed that much, stick around for a while. (laughs) Of course, the world revolved around Bernie up until then. Come on, if we're honest, we can all say the same thing. The world, to one degree or another, revolved around us. My life changed, my reading habits changed, the music I listened to changed. Everything started to change. It took a little while to get rid of some of the things that I was doing, like smoking, that took a little while, a couple of years. And today, my goodness me, $60 a day would cost me. Because I used to smoke 35 a day. Who can afford that unless you're an abalone diver? Yeah, then you can. <laughs> the enemies of Jesus thought they conquered him on the cross. They really did. But his resurrection proved him to be the unconquerable Christ. Amen. At Pentecost, the key idea in Peter's awesome sermon was. Christ is alive and he's here. He remains unconquerable. This same unconquerable Christ is with us today, urging us to proclaim his message. He still possesses all power and imparts power to those who will carry on his kingdom work. Beyond this, the unconquerable Christ promises victory. Read the last page of the book. We win. I tell you the truth. 
Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing and he will do even greater things than these because I go to be with the Father, John 14, 12. Every time I read that, I'm going, I scratch my head and I think, how can we possibly more than, do more than what he did? Because there's more of us doing it. That's why. There's not just one person. There's millions spread all over the world doing that work. As we stand and proclaim this glorious gospel of Christ, we stand on a very solid foundation. The unchanging authority of God's word and of the command of the unconquerable Christ who lives and dwells among us. Our task is to love God, love others and serve the world. That's our task in a nutshell. And the command of the unconquerable Christ who lives and dwells among us. I, I really want to pray this morning for boldness and for courage to be given witness of what he has done in our lives. Ultimately, to be ready for the glorious second coming of the living Jesus Christ. He's coming back and he's getting closer all the time. It is, and I know Paul was already talking about that, where we are 2,000 years closer now than when Paul was talking about it. And they lived their life as he was coming back in their lifetime. And I believe we need to live our lives too, like he's coming back in our lifetime. And, you know, do I put a date on it? No, you can't put a date on it because nobody knows the day or the hour. Nobody knows that except the Father. He said, till I come, be proclaimers. Keep on working and serving my kingdom, proclaimers into the future. Fear will keep us from our eternal destiny. God's got a plan for every one of us. Every one of us. And every one of us is going to receive a reward of the plan that he, had for, that he had for you, that he gifted you for, and that you either function in or won't function in. You don't lose your salvation by not functioning in his eternal purpose, but you'll lose a reward. The Bible makes that quite clear. You still go to heaven by the skin of your teeth, so to speak. I don't know where that saying came from. I think it's in the Bible. Skin of your teeth. I've never had skin of my teeth. So, we must deal the death blow to fear. That's the greatest thing stopping us fear. And to the fear of, of the unbelieving man or woman who stirs up the enemy to rob and accuse us, to intimidate us, speaking lies in our ears. God desires to know your heart above anything else. He wants to know if your heart is totally towards him. And maybe this is a good prayer for all of us to pray, Lord, whatever gift that you have given me, will you water that gift so I can function in that gift to the best of my ability until I see you face to face? Come on, these kind of prayers are good prayers to pray. They might, they might stir up some things in our life that God might say, okay, I, I, I heard that and I'm going to put somebody in your way that you said you was never ever going to witness to and now is your opportunity. 
That happened to me once where I was very early in my Christian life and I have never forgotten it that I didn't do it and I've repented over and over and over again because the devil whispers in your ear, God gave you the command to whisper in that person's ear about eternal life and you didn't do it. But I've been forgiven. And he is faithful and just who forgives us and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. That's our God that we serve. So just because we muck up from time to time, that doesn't mean to say we've lost our ability to witness. Will you close your eyes with me as I pray? I want to pray that prayer for boldness and courage. Father, I just want to pray, Lord, for everybody, me included, Lord, for boldness and courage. Father, you have given us this word, Lord, that that can't be in any way uh, put aside. Lord, you've made it very clear what our life should be. Father, give us boldness and courage to fulfill your plan and purpose for our life. Lord, according to your gifting. Lord, not according to what somebody else has got, but according to your gifting for each individual person. And Father, I... I can see gifting on different people around this this congregation here. And Lord, what they should be functioning in. But Lord, it's your word, it's your say-so that needs to take place. And Father, I pray, Lord, for anybody, Father, that in the sound of my voice that has never made that total commitment to you, that they would do so today, Father, in the mighty name of Jesus. And I say there's an urgency. Don't put it off till tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. That's what Paul talks about 2,000 years ago. That's what I'm talking about today. Don't put it off. Today is the day. And Father, that we would do that, Lord, seriously. Lord, knowing that you're going to be there to help us. Lord, to fill us up when we run on empty for a while. Lord, to pick us up when we've fallen down and we've scun our knees or we've done whatever. Lord, you are the one that picks us up and tells us, come on, I believe in you, go again. You are that kind of God. Help us, I pray, to be all that you've destined us to be and that we would fulfill that destiny with joy and gladness of heart For we ask it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Can I, if there's anybody here this morning that has never done that, would you consider doing it now? It's that important. We're talking about eternity. We're not talking about a week or a couple of weeks. We're talking about eternity. And unless we come to that place where you say, Lord, I need you, nothing's going to change. You can do that here, you can do that at home, but you must do it. I plead with you to do it. Why? Because I want to see you in heaven. I want to see you and sing with you and praise with you and stand in awe of the one who gave it all with you not apart from you. Amen? Amen. If anybody's got any needs, any uh, sickness needs that you want prayer for, 
I got burnt and then he got to pray for my for my uh, the lump on my neck before I went to, uh, to the doctors on Friday, Thursday. And it's good to do. You know, like God is the healer, the doctors are practitioners. And they're good and I'm thankful for them. Don't get me wrong. But that's what they are. And some honest ones have told me that. We're just practicing, Bernie. They have. So that's how it needs to be. So anybody for prayer, I'd love to pray with you and stand with you.